Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of JavaScript Jabber. This week on our panel, we have Steve Edwards. Yo, 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 coming at you from a cool and cloudy Portland. <laughs> we have Dan Shapir. From a warm, but starting to get cloudy Tel Aviv, you know. Israel, Israel Paul. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all good. Long pause. I'm Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And uh, we're getting ready to launch JavaScript Jabber Premium if you're interested in getting ad-free plus bonus content. Cool, yeah. Um, And more dad jokes. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not committing to that. Um, We also have a special guest this week, and that is Carson Gross. Carson, do you want to introduce yourself and say hello? It's been almost three years since you've been on the show. Oh, wow, really? (laughs) Crazy. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Uh, my name is Carson Gross, and uh, I live in Bozeman, Montana. It's starting to get cold here. We had snow on the mountains last week, so um, a little bit different, <laughs> sounds like, than where you guys live. Uh, but uh, yeah, I work on a library called HTMX, which I think is what we're going to mainly talk about today. Yep, absolutely. My sister-in-law is from Miles City, so. Oh, uh, there you go. Yeah. It's a small I, I guess it's not Miles my City family. It's my brother's family. Yeah. I'm in Bozeman, so sort of the opposite yeah. side of Montana. Yeah. But Montana's such a small state, you know, so you're probably <laughs> pretty close, right? Yeah, just tiny. So we had you on about three years ago. We talked about HTMX and Intercooler. Um, and I'm just yeah. wondering, like, what's changed in the last three years? Well, uh, not much changed for about two and a half of those years. Uh, HTMX was experiencing pretty steady growth. Um, uh, it, had, it surpassed Intercooler JS, which was the predecessor. And, uh, and then this July, um, out of nowhere, uh, I was sitting on a bucket in a little league tournament and, uh, my phone, I looked down at my Twitter notifications and was like, that can't be right. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> it, it, it just went, it went crazy. Um, and it turns out a couple of, uh, tech influencers, which I'm not, I mean, I'm an old guy. I'm not super plugged in on this stuff, but, um, uh, the Premagen, who is a, a Twitch yeah, uh, streamer and he yeah. does YouTube stuff as well. Yep. kind of got interested in HTMX and uh, and then um, the uh, um, uh, what's his name Fireship Dev who is, has a huge YouTube channel which just gets I mean millions of views. Um, he decided to do a 100 seconds of HTMX and so those two things sort of happened back to back in July and uh, HTMX really exploded at that point. Um, so uh, it you know went over twenty thousand stars on GitHub, which was always sort of my my line where I would say, okay, <laughs> get, you know we've made it, and uh, uh, it's continued to grow since then. So um, I don't think much has changed technically about the library, um, but uh, you know the the vagaries of the internet are what they are, mm-hmm. and uh, just hanging around and being silly on Twitter for. <laughs> About a decade, and it turns out it pays off in the long run. Oh, yeah. So but it's funny it's, because... It's funny because it's true, because, you know, your Twitter account is out there. Uh, yeah. We get pretty silly on the Twitter, for sure. Um, and I've been like that forever. People are like, oh, he's such a marketing genius. And I'm like, <laughs> I've been doing the same thing for, for a decade now. I used to be a little bit more serious and try a little harder. You know, I've got a lot of essays if the listeners are interested. Um, HTMX is an idiosyncratic 
JavaScript library in that it's very focused on hypermedia exchanges. So HTML requests and responses rather than JSON, which is what most JavaScript libraries use. Um, and I've written a fair number of, you know, fairly serious, although there, some of them are a little silly as well, essays. Um, and uh, your listeners can read them at htmx.org slash essays. Um, but I've always been pretty silly and I got increasingly silly sort of, I don't want to say as I gave up, but as I sort of accepted that, you know, intercooler and HTMX were not going to be dominant, <laughs> you know, you like libraries for building websites. Um, but then, you know, July happened and here we are. And now uh, everyone, it seems like everyone, you know, everyone thinks I'm some sort of marketing genius, but uh, I think I was just in the right place, right time. I think that Primachen is actually making some videos about your about HTMX uh, like all the time almost it seems like I think a couple of, of videos dropped like this week or something. Yeah, he's been making a lot of content about it, which I really I mean I've never met the guy. I've chatted with him a couple times, you know, online, but I definitely appreciate appreciate his enthusiasm for it. Yeah, it's funny too because uh, I I've been coaching people lately on their career and uh, you know creating content, you know, doing things like that to kind of build their personal brand. Some people are more interested in doing the open source. But the thing that I keep telling them is, you know, you mentioned, hey, I've just been doing the same thing for 10 years. And and that's usually the way that it works out where, yeah, I, you just consistently put things out there, whether it be open source or, you know, be active on social media or, you know, have a blog or have a YouTube channel or have a podcast or whatever. And then eventually that opportunity kind of presents itself. And if you had stopped at any point, that opportunity wouldn't come along. But the fact is, is that you were around, in your case, maybe for 10 years before somebody finally noticed and said, hey, this is a thing that I like. Yep. Yeah, you know, and Intercooler really kind of did. I don't want to say it died, but it went quiet for a while. Um, and really, it was when when COVID hit that I decided to do the HTMX rewrite of it. So HTMX mm-hmm. is sort of Intercooler 2.0. And uh, it was only because COVID, you know, had us all in our houses that I just said, okay, I'll pull out the jQuery dependency that Intercooler JS had and see if I can do it in vanilla JS. Um, right. And that, you know, sort of rekindled the whole thing. So very I, a lot of very lucky <laughs> turns of events. I don't think there's a lot of lessons to be learned here. Although I do agree with the idea of like hanging around, you know, trying to hang around yeah. um, until your time comes. Because, you know, things we've all, we're all old enough. We've seen these waves come and go in the industry. And so, you know, uh, if you if you're around long enough, the chances are that if you've got a decent idea, it'll start getting some play at least. Yeah, I, well, we've seen I, that a couple of times with this podcast, where yeah. you know, whatever you know, things slow down, the the growth isn't you know going, and then yeah, somebody picks up something and says, "Hey, these three or four episodes of JavaScript Jabber really hit the mark," and then we have a whole bunch of growth and attention, and then it slows back down again, and you know, we we generally have a steady growth anyway. It's just you know, it, not not like that, but yeah. It's mostly just being consistent and giving people value. Yeah, but if we pivot back to HTMX itself, I think it's it's more than just persistence. I, I think the the stars kind of aligned because, like, everybody is going like in a certain direction with the with the web front end, uh, and mm-hmm. you kind of represent the exact opposite 
on like almost every level. So you mentioned sure. one, which is, you know, focusing on, on sending HTML over the wire rather than other formats, in particular JSON, which is kind of funny that, you know, the web and sending HTML is considered kind of out there. It's, it's kind of amusing. But it's <laughs> not just that. I mean, it's, it's a whole bunch of aspects of HTMX which are almost like polar opposites to things happening with React, with with Vue, with Svelte, with mm-hmm. with everybody else. And you're kind of going like the totally opposite direction. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's true. Um, I think one thing that HTMX really benefited from was that but when I built Intercooler, I really developed a better... Uh, sort of philosophical base for what I was doing. Intercooler was very much like just trying stuff out. But when I when I rewrote to HTMX, I, what I realized is I just wanted to make HTML better. And so if you if you don't it, so that that constraint of like okay let's just prove let's improve HTML, let's make it so that any element can issue a, requ- a request. Let's make make it so that any element can issue any kind of HTTP request. So get you know, post, put, patch, and delete. Um, let's make it so that any element can res- do that request in response to any event. And then finally, and probably most importantly, let's make it so that that request can be placed anywhere in the DOM rather than just replacing the entire screen, which is what the normal hypermedia controls, uh, forms, and anchor tags do. Um, th- those sort of four core concepts of HTMX, I think having that philosophical basis um, really constrained HTMX to to keep it a relatively small library and uh, and also a very focused library. Um, so and that was a, I didn't have that benefit uh, of sort of having time to think about it uh, when I built Intercooler. So Intercooler is sort of more of a kitchen sink uh, uh, front end library. It has a lot of stuff in it that I kind of view as superfluous, whereas HTMX is much more focused. So it's a smaller library. It doesn't have the jQuery dependency and so forth. Um, and uh, I think that, you know, that, 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 that focus keeps me away from stuff like reactive style programming. That's just not part of the idea with HTMX. And so it keeps HTMX sort of segregated uh, away from the, the other major front end libraries because we're just not we're not trying to solve some of the problems that the that exist and you know there are good reasons to use those tools at times um but uh it, it's just not that's not the problem that htmx is really trying to solve it's really focused on um extending the expressiveness of html so i've found that that sort of having that as my my touchstone being to, to be a very uh, uh good way to, to keep the library tight and focused and sort of have its own flavor when compared with other libraries you mentioned that uh, HTMX is not solving those problems. You can use this alongside an Angular or React or Svelte or whatever, right? Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, so that's one I, one thing, especially on JavaScript, Jabber, I do want to clear up is people say, oh, HTMX is the anti-JavaScript library. <laughs> and that's not, that's not true. <laughs> that's not true. Um, you know, I, I do, there's, there's obviously a contrarian feel to it. So I don't want to pretend that there's no sort of like salty contrarianness to it because there is. Um, but at the same time, uh, HTMX is written in JavaScript, first of all. Mm-hmm. So it would be hard to be anti JavaScript, uh, entirely. Um, but also HTMX is, uh, and, or at least I am fairly pragmatic about it. And it, uh, scripting was part of, is, has always been part of the web. 
So Roy Fielding, who is an engineer who worked on the early web and wrote a thesis, which is where we get the terms RESTful Rest. and Hadios mm-hmm. and all this stuff from. Um, so he kind of wrote the that, that thesis was in some ways the, the intellectual description of what the web was, why it was different than other distributed architectures. And he explicitly mentioned scripting as a component of that system. And so um, HTMX in that sense is not hostile to scripting. Um, so if you have, for example, an island of interactivity, then maybe a reactive framework like React or Vue or Svelte or whatever is called for. Um, and there are entire applications that HTMX just isn't a good fit for. So uh, if your readers are interested, or if your listeners, I should say, are interested, they, there's an essay called uh, When Hypermedia is Appropriate or something like that on the essays page on HTMX. And I talk about, okay, this these are the types of apps that HTMX is a good fit for or the parts of the mm-hmm. app that it's a good for. And these are the parts that it's not good, a good fit for. And those areas where it's not a good fit, your option, your other option is going to be scripting of some sort. Now that scripting can be reactive, potentially. It can also just be vanilla JavaScript, you know, um, and we don't shy away from that at all. Uh, we have a book that we released recently called Hypermedia Systems, and uh, we have a whole chapter on scripting and sort of three different approaches to scripting um, using, uh, I think, uh, what do we use? Vanilla JS. I think we use HyperScript, which is a esoteric scripting language that I worked on as well. Um, but then Alpine, which has a more reactive uh, feel to it as well. Um, so we're, you know, we're not anti-scripting uh, or anti-JavaScript. Uh, we're just, you know, uh, I would call our, uh, I would call call us hypermedia enthusiasts <laughs> rather than, than anti-anything. If I can take you on a slight detour for uh, sure. for a minute. So you mentioned that, you know, you're not anti-scripting because HTMX itself is written in JavaScript. Is it written in JavaScript or in TypeScript? <laughs> oh, boy, uh, that's a controversial topic. <laughs> it is written not only not only not only is it written in JavaScript, it is written in like ES5 or 4. It's, it's written in IE compatible JavaScript and it's written in a single file. <laughs> There's no build system, no build script. No, nothing. Um, it's just one giant ball of JavaScript um, and very old JavaScript at that. Old um, school. I like it. Yeah. So it's if you look at the internals, it's written in a functional manner. I have a fairly idiosyncratic style of JavaScript that I write. I write it very functionally on the inside. And uh, so that I, I find that easy to pick up. My, my experience is that non-JavaScript developers who come in pick it up pretty quickly, but people who are used to modern JavaScript tooling, sometimes it makes them cross their eyes um, when they look at it. But uh, the advantage, the big advantage of this approach is number one, it's IE compatible, which is kind of a joke at this point since IE has been retired, but we've always been IE compatible. And so I like, I like that we can say that. Um, it's kind of funny. Um, we're going to drop that for HTMX 2.0, by the way. Um, but then also, we don't have a build time. <laughs> yeah, you you are not alone in your uh, in your opinion on this uh, on this in, on this matter. But um, but we also we don't have a build step. And actually, a, a guy named Alex on our team wrote an essay on why HTMX doesn't have a build step and some of the advantages of that approach to building software, where there's there's a, uh, an immediacy to changes, like hit refresh, and it just automatically works. You don't have to set up some build 
tool chain and so forth to make everything work and how that was how the early web was. And that was one of the nice things about JavaScript was it was an interpretive language. So you didn't have to have a big build system. Um, and that's kind of been lost in a lot of uh, Java projects. So it's not right for everybody, but uh, it works for us for sure. Yeah. I, also the fact that you hardly have a JavaScript API. I mean, you do, as far as I recall, because you support uh, JavaScript extensions to to HTMX, yeah. but the majority of developers using HTMX aren't going to be interfacing to it with JavaScript. They're mostly just going to use it as attributes on their HTML. Mm -hmm. And the primary right. benefit of TypeScript in the context of libraries is effectively documenting uh, the interfaces. Uh, and and yeah. yeah, so you, you don't need that as much. I, I would, you know, suggest to you, let's put it this way, just for your own sake, maybe, to consider you starting to sprinkle in JSDoc, kind of like what the, the Svelte project is doing. Yeah, that's exactly what we're planning on doing. And we actually have some JSDoc in the code base right now, but we're not we're not verifying it. Our test suite is really what keeps things on the rails, for better or for worse. Um, and oh, yeah. it, the funny thing here, the funny thing here is that I'm a statically typed language guy. I my I studied programming languages in uh, graduate school, and I, I write you know I write uh, compilers. I teach the compilers class here at Montana State, and it's a statically typed programming language because <laughs> that's what I prefer. And uh, you know it's a simple type system, but still. Um, so it is it, it just one of life's ironies that I've ended up <laughs> using a totally untyped safe scripting language. I remember arguing with people back in the day when the, the dynamic language people would say, tests are good enough. And I would say, no, you need to have static typing. And now I'm the guy saying, tests are good enough. So you never know where you're going to end up in life. But here we to, are. To be fair, I think the, the case for using JSDoc would be primarily about uh, just making the editing experience uh, nicer, at least in some contexts. So having yeah. a correct completion uh, when working, yep. let's say, in VS Code is is just... Mm -hmm. And and it's also like, you know, the biggest problem with, with code comments is that unless you take an, an, you make an effort, uh, they, they get out of date and then they're worse yep. than useless. Uh, the yep. the benefit of JSDoc is that it cannot get out of date because then it gets in the way of your writing the code. So you kind of yeah. force to keep it up to date and then it actually serves its purpose as proper documentation. I'm not yeah. saying it's without its problems. There's extra effort involved, obviously. Uh, you will run into situations where certain things that are very straightforward to uh, implement in JavaScript are kind of challenging when you try to do it with the uh, TypeScript and especially with JSDoc, but it might be beneficial, like like I said, to sprinkle it in. Yeah, well, I agree. I, I mean, I agree. Um, I think at this point, it's just a matter of doing the work. Um, the uh, I, And I know at least one error which slipped into a release of HTMX that would have been caught with decent JS docs. So there's at least one bug that I can point to that was not, tested properly that would have been caught with with good typescript or js docs so uh, I, I appreciate the cor not the correctness argument as well but i think what you touched on uh, even more so the tooling 
around code development uh, that strong typing can give you is uh, is worth the the effort. Um, and have you guys heard of grugbrain.dev? Have you guys ever gone to that website? Nope. So I wrote, this is a joke website that I made. Uh, it's called grugbrain.dev and it's sort of a caveman, caveman's take on software development. And if you uh, find the, the type systems chunk of it, I kind of say exactly what you just said, Dan, where um, I think the not, one of the most valuable aspect of static typing is tooling, is tooling support. So code completion, refactoring, um, all that sort of stuff, the ability to find usages uh, effectively without guessing based on symbol names and so forth. All that stuff is extremely valuable. And uh, that's, I would definitely uh, like to have that in the HTMX code base at some point. But I do have to say, all that being said, the test suite has done a pretty darn good job of keeping the correctness of the software uh, uh, fairly high. What are you using for the test? Uh, what do we use? Um, use oh shoot i'm gonna have to go look <laughs> Trick question. i just write i just copy and paste <laughs> I, I, we use copy and paste <laughs> no i forget it was whatever the cool one was when uh, when we started Jet? no mocha mocha that sounds right mocha and then there's a, a mock server by uh another dependency I'm going to have to find it, but I'll have to look it up. I forget which one. I just copy and paste the tests at this point. So, yeah, Do you also do like end-to-end tests with automations or stuff? Like using Most of something our tests like a are, Playwright or something? Yeah, and we don't do any uh, sort of server browser-based testing. Um, all of our tests are against, uh, they're written, they're, and there's a, there's a part in grugbrain.dev where I talk about testing. And uh, I like uh, kind of in-between tests. So I don't like unit tests very much. And uh, end-to-end tests, I think, are great, but they can be really hard to, to diagnose what's going wrong with. And so there's sort of this in-between test, which people sometimes call integration tests. Um, and uh, I think you would characterize the test suite of HTMX as mostly integration tests, where we generate HTML that has attributes on it. And then we click on the button or whatever, and then there's a mock server that intercepts the AJAX and uh, sends back a response that gets inserted into the DOM somewhere, and then we test the state of the DOM afterwards. So it's definitely not a unit test in the traditional sense, but I also would not call it an end-to-end test in the sense that we're going through a browser you know, normally it's sort of uh, set up kind of with these in-between tests. And I think that's very effective because... That API, the, the the HTML API for uh, HTMX is its main API, and that doesn't change that dramatically. And so the tests stay useful for a very long time when compared to like if we were unit testing individual functions, for example. So I have two questions that I want to ask, um, and I don't know which one we answer first, but I don't know if we actually talked about what HTMX is or what it does. And I know sure. that we talked about it three years ago, but... It's been three years, and I'm assuming people are picking this up from channels like uh, the Primogen and going, oh, okay, I see what it is. But do you want to just give us a really brief example of of what it is and how it works? And then the other question I have is, then what are you putting into 2.0? Sure. Okay, yeah. Um, So just to to give you a a, a complete high-level overview, let's uh, HTMX effectively extends HTML as a hypermedia and as I said sort of earlier, it lets you make have anything on your page, make a request based on any event, and then 
take the response from that request and place it anywhere in the DOM. So uh, imagine you had a like button uh, in a uh, uh, in a in a user interface, and let's just make it a button, like a real button at this point. So you have a button element, and you want that button to do a put to, uh, for example, say tweet slash and then a tweet ID or something like that, mm-hmm. like post slash post ID. Um, what you would do is you would put onto that button uh, the attribute hx dash put and then the URL slash post slash whatever the ID of that post is. Um, and what that would do is it would, uh, uh, HTMX would see that attribute and it would say, okay, this is on a button. The natural action for a button is click. So when a click occurs, I'm going to issue a put to that URL. And then that URL is going to return some response. For example, maybe it says uh, you've liked, you know, returns a heart or some mm-hmm. animation or something like that. Um, some bit of HTML, though, wouldn't be a JSON response. And that's the crux difference between HTMX and most other JavaScript uh, front-end libraries. Um, so uh, you would get that response back. And then another attribute that you would put on the button would be HX target. And that HX target would uh, let you use a CSS selector to say where to place that content in the UI. So maybe you want to replace the button with it. So you would target like the parent div of mm-hmm. that button. Or maybe you want to put the message next to the button or whatever. Um, and so you could use uh, a CSS selector in order to specify exactly where that HTML that comes back is placed. And that HTML, in this case, anyways, would uh, not be an entire HTML document, rather a snippet of HTML. And so um, so those two attributes, putting an HX put and then an HX target, would let you implement sort of a right. like functionality that in a more traditional JavaScript library might be tied together using events and maybe some a backend store for for posts mm-hmm. and so forth. And uh, so a little bit more uh, elaborate on the front end um, with advantages and disadvantages. The HTMX sort of idea is let's just use the server. The server will respond with the updated state. And the more, tra- it's a, I would call it a more traditional web model where hypermedia is the engine of application state, which is where the uh, abbreviation Hadios comes from, using the, the HTML exchanges in order to update the UI. So that's the crux of uh, HTMX. And uh, basically, you have a bunch of attributes that let you control behavior. For example, if you want to take the URL that the request is against, and you want to push that up into the history, there's an HX push URL attribute you can use. Um, you can uh, specify different types of swap if you want to swap in the inner HTML, the outer HTML, if you want to place it after an element or before if an I element. I can interrupt you on that point for a minute because that's one that I kind of made a note to myself ahead of the show that mm-hmm. I wanted to bring up with you. Um, so one of the cool things about the web when you just use the HTML that's built into the browser and not yeah. like a framework or or even HTMX, is that okay. you got this history thing. The fact that you've mm-hmm. got working back and forth buttons uh, and, yep. you know, like the content of the page changes. Usually the URL will change because it's always a page navigation. And then you can click the back button to go to where you previously were and the, and the forward button, you know, go forward again. When you start replacing things in the page itself, that model kind of breaks down. Um, there's no if if you basically download a bit of, of HTML over the wire and then use JavaScript effectively behind the scenes to inject it into the the DOM, 
there's no history operation associated with it. So there's, if you click the back, you will just go, you know, all the way back. So the, yeah. my question really is conceptually and also practically, how do you deal with that? Um, okay, that's a great question. There's uh, there's sort of two components to it. So first of all, HTMX does have history support. So if you put the attribute HX push URL equals true on an element that's making a request, that URL that the request goes to will get pushed into the location bar. Um, and what we do is we snapshot the DOM before the request is made, save that to local storage as a cache, and then uh, it'll actually create via the history API, which is a horrible API, but it's fine. Um, it'll actually create a history element. So you actually do have back button support um, if you use that HX push URL, uh, um, if you use that HX push URL attribute. Um, so that, that works. Now, uh, there's another side to that, though, which is what you also mentioned, which is, well, if I'm just getting a small snippet of HTML back from that URL, um, what happens like if I refresh the page, right? Like, so I, you know, I hit refresh, I issue a get, is it only going to get that little snippet of HTML? How does it render the UI properly? And uh, the answer there is uh, there's a header that is passed up when it's an HTMX based request called HX uh, uh, request. And that'll be set to true. And if you really want to do that right, what you need to do is look at that header and say, okay, is this a partial request? And we'll include also the ID of the target of the request, if there is one, so that you can set, figure out exactly what uh, content you want to render. Um, and so, uh, you, but to do that properly in order to support deep links, um, which is the, the broader concept here, um, you, have to, you have to do that on the server side. A lot of uh, uh, libraries uh, that backend frameworks are starting to integrate that into middleware. So they'll do, they'll let you do that pretty easily uh, via middleware. Um, but it is more manual work and it's certainly much more complicated than uh, just standard links and forms. Um, I often recommend to people just use standard links and forms if that's all you need because you do get all that functionality, quote unquote, for free. And there are issues like you have to set up the very header correctly and so forth in order to get browser caching to work properly and so forth. So it's not trivial. So I don't want to present HTMX as just solving that problem without any effort on the user's part, but uh, with a decent understanding mm -hmm. of all the components in motion, you can have a very good and not difficult to implement deep link support in an HTMX-based application. So basically, when you change a bit of HTML on the page, and if you do want to have a, a history associated with it, if I understand correctly, you take the, that part of the DOM that was changed or replaced, you kind of push it into the local storage, I assume, as the actual original HTML, as the HTML, I assume. And you yeah. kind of use the local storage or as, as kind of a stack, I guess, that you yeah. can push, push and pop I, I things call out it, of. The history API provides the stack. The JavaScript history API provides the stack, and it's kind of a, it's more of a linked list than a stack. But uh, but um, the, the local storage, I would call, I would say it's more of a cache. So given a particular URL, like what was the content? And we when we snapshot it, we snapshot the whole page. So much like the browser does, you know, natively, we don't look at like just one little part of it. We snapshot the entire page and save that into the history cache, which is what we call it internally. Mm. 
you might Sorry. want to look at other forms of storage instead of local storage eventually i i'm, I'm not th i'm not sure that local storage is the alt optimal type of storage for that but that's a different yeah. discussion i guess we let you set how many like some people don't like that behavior at all they don't want anything stored in local storage and so you can configure there to be zero local storage slots and then effectively there's a fallback mechanism where if we if we if you click a back button or navigate back in history and you hit a URL and we don't have an entry in local storage, we'll actually issue a get request to the server for that URL and just take the content and swap that in instead. Which again, sort of mimics the browser behavior. And some people who don't like the way that history, if you have a really complicated web page with a lot of JavaScript, it can be kind of a pain to, to get the JavaScript, I to just get the HTML. Just had yeah. an insane idea that probably is broken, but I'm just going to throw it out there <laughs> for you to think sure. about after the show. Instead yeah. of putting it in a local storage, create a hidden iframe and stick it in <laughs> there. Uh, and yeah. then you can actually have the browser's history do the work for you. <laughs> yeah, maybe. It's worth looking at. I think I, frames... Frames and iframes are underutilized. Well, frames are dead, effectively. So it's yeah. iframes is all we still have. Yeah. Frames and frame sets are dead, I think. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm thinking so, most of our listeners don't even know that they ever existed. <laughs> yeah. So I, I do want to push this more toward, okay, so what's coming in 2.0? Like, sure. What are you um, adding or changing? So 2.0 uh, has kind of gone through a, little, a few bumps, actually. Uh, we uh, Initially, I was thinking that a big aspect of 2.0 would be something called a, uh, one, of the, one of the neat ideas that's come up in the last, it's been around for a while now. There's something called Morphdom. Have you guys ever heard of Morphdom, the Morphdom library? Nope. It's a, I've heard of it, it's, it's but called, I don't know what it it's does. A, it's a DOM morphing library. So basically what it does is it takes an existing DOM and then some HTML and parses the HTML and then morphs the, the current DOM into the new DOM form. And so what that means is that it means that it uh, the, the DOM stays relatively stable. So elements don't get removed. It's not just like the standard swap in HTMX is, is replacement. You just jam in inner HTML. And the problem with that is it blasts a lot of state like focus state, which we try and keep up to date and so forth. There's a lot of hacks that we have in there to make that all work. But, but um, the, the morphing algorithms do a much better job of preserving, for example, videos running and so forth. And this is one area where... <laughs> yeah, so like the VDOM is, is, uh, uh, tries to do this as well. But morphing algorithms don't have that layer. They just take an existing layer and then try and sync it with an existing... Uh, with. Uh, with, they take a, a new DOM and like an actual DOM and then morph it with, in uh, morph an old DOM into it. So I came up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's kind of, <laughs> kind of. Um, so I came up with a new algorithm called Idiomorph, which uses something called ID sets, that, and it, it behaves. It performs slightly. It's a little slower, but it performs slightly better than uh, the old Morphdom algorithm. Um, does as far as keeping nodes stable in uh, a DOM. And uh, I, I really was feeling like I was going to integrate that into HTMX 2.0 so there was an out-of-the-box sort of swap that was available. Because it really, it, this, it addresses some corner cases that people object to with HTMX. Um, but after getting into it and uh, doing it, 
over the summer, uh, we, we made the decision sort of as a group, um, primarily me, that I just don't think that complexity is worth it for the majority of HTMX users. And so we, we've actually we've said, okay, forget about that. <laughs> That'll still be, it's a plugin. So if you want to use that algorithm in HTMX, you can use it, but as a plugin. We're not going to put it in the core of the library. And uh, so what that means is we've kind of taken a step back and reevaluated. And what that, what that really means for HTMX 2.0 is there's going to be very little difference uh, between, like when we make the one to two step, there's going to be very little difference functionality-wise between the two. We're going to remove a couple of legacy features. We have legacy WebSocket support and legacy uh, server sent event support. Those have already been replaced by extensions that do a much better job of supporting those technologies within HTMX. So those are already available. And those are what we recommend. We say don't use this old stuff. So we're going to remove that. We're going to remove the IE support and all the junky code that we have along with that, which will help. And uh, then uh, we're uh, going to look uh, at changing a few defaults. Um, so for example, um, HTMX right now, by default, just because it's the standard AJAX behavior, it allows you to make a request to a different domain um, from the current domain. Um, so you can put in a, a you can do a cross domain to, uh, uh, request by default. And so we're going to make that no longer legal by default to help secure HTMX applications by default. You'll still be able to enable it if you want. Some people do want to make those, but the mo- majority of people don't want to make them. And so we're going to change a few defaults like that. Um, there will be a, a small upgrade guide that will help people um, uh, uh, upgrade things. But I really don't think there's going to be too much uh, dramatic, dramatically different. Hopefully it'll be a little smaller because we are pulling out a lot of functionality and then a lot of junky IE code that uh, we can not, we don't have to support anymore. Um, but uh, it won't be, it's not going to be very dramatic. I'm, I'm sorry to report. I wish I had a, <laughs> I wish I had a big, sexy, you know, that's kind of what Idiomorph was. It was the big, sexy thing that would inspire people to upgrade. But um, I just... I don't think it. I don't think it's the right thing for the library. Yeah, I, I, th- I, without seeing it, I tend to agree. If, if, if you were to put it in, I would put it with very like strict cutoff points, like you know, looking at the content you're replacing and deciding whether to use it or whether using it or not is even worth it, because you yeah. know, for example, if you don't even have input elements in the stuff you're replacing, then maybe there's no point and stuff like that. Uh, yeah. Well, one thing that's one thing that's tough about that algorithm in general, and Idiomorph suffers from this. Alpine JS has, uses a similar uh, algorithm. Is that it doesn't work a hundred percent of the time. It just there are times when it'll behave the way you want, and then there are times when it won't, and it can be hard to understand why. And so that was really the thing that that fi- that finally put the nail in the coffin for me was was that you know this is going to generate a bunch of support because people are going to think it's magic and it's not. Um, the fundamental problem, and actually, I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about this, but I've talked with some some Chrome engineers about this. Um, but the fundamental problem is what, what what we really want as a library is we want the ability to reroute, to take a DOM node from one that has one parent and move it to another parent without losing the state associated with it. So to take you know like a video element and move it from one spot to another without the video resetting. For example, that's like a sort of classic example. And uh, once you can do that, then um, you can do an awful lot of cool stuff. And if, if uh, my my sense is that there is momentum building in the browser engineer community around that feature, 
And that'll, so that was another thing that sort of I was looking at saying, you know, this could be a solved problem in two or three years. And then HTMX is going to have this legacy swapping mechanism that doesn't really work perfectly. But now we have this opportunity to do the right thing because the browsers have caught up with what we want. So that was another thing that sort of uh, uh, just ended up uh, helping us make the decision to say, now we're going to reset and uh, redo this in a, a much less dramatic manner. Now, so I was saying how the fact that your the HTMX is kind of the inverse of so many of so much of what modern frameworks are. Like it's a library rather than a framework. It's focused on the HTML rather than on the JavaScript, um, and um, the fact that um, uh, it's it sends HTML over the wire rather than other protocols, in particular JSON and so forth. One other big difference is that all the other frameworks seems to be going full stack. Uh, and whereas HTMX remains very much a client-side library. Uh, is is yep. my the way that I'm seeing it correct? Do you agree with that? Yeah, 100%. And uh, so H- one thing we talk about with HTMX is how hypermedia on whatever you'd like it's like a stack, you know, there are various stacks. Um, and I agree, you know, obviously there's React server components and there's Spellkit and all this stuff that's driving a server-side component, whereas HTMX, and again, I think it's because of that philosophical commitment to HTML, to improving HTML. You're not going to be using HTML to write, God forbid, you're using HTML to write your server-side logic. That's just not a thing. So um, uh, it's just not realistic that HTMX is going to have a server-side presence. And uh, I think that's a good thing because it allows people... One of the downsides when you have a particular server-side technology that that pairs best or whatever with a given front-end technology is that people have to adopt it. And so that forces people out of their preferred programming language. Like we have a lot of very passionate... Rust developers, Go developers, Lisp developers, Clojure, which is a JVM-based Lisp, um, Python developers, uh, Haskell. We've got some Haskell uh, people. And we've got a lot of people that like their particular programming language, F-sharp, OCamels, for whatever reason, blowing up on Twitter. Um, you know, And uh, so uh, HTMX tries to stay agnostic towards the back-end technology. So whatever you use to produce HTML, is fine. It's you know that's your choice, and so it removes that pressure to adopt a particular backend. Now there are disadvantages to that. You don't have the tight integration necessarily that you have that you can have with something like, for example, React server components. So there's definitely a sacrifice that has to be made there um, in the name of uh, that that sort of hard break uh, between the front end and back end technology choices. Um, so uh, it's not, and another, another disadvantage of it is that there's, there's not really a canonical, um, backend example for HTMX. People come in and say, how do I do this? And they have to say, well, what are, what are you using for your backend? And then we have to find someone that's also using that backend and using HTMX in order to help them. And that can be, you know, off-putting to people who are used to a more sort of one-stop shop. Um, Zed Shaw is an author um, mm-hmm. and he tried out HTMX at one point and just had a horrible experience with it because he expected it to set up a server and all this other junk for him. 
Um, and I, it, unfortunately, the interaction on Twitter became a little, <laughs> it didn't work out as well as I would have liked. Um, but I, but I understand is one of my favorite it. and least favorite curmudgeons out there. So <laughs> he's, he's definitely got strong opinions, which I appreciate. Yeah. Um, but, uh, he, uh, you know, he, and he, he had a point, you know, it is, you, there's no, you, you don't, you know, you don't create an HTMX app. There's no create HTMX right. app. It's um, not a full so stack. Be... It's not a full stack solution, and it's not, and yeah. uh, and to be fair to you, it doesn't you know pretend to be. So like I yeah. can appreciate. I don't feel like that was what was sold. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, <laughs> if he was disappointed that uh, you know a server was not included, uh, yeah. then effectively he was looking at the wrong thing. It seems to me. Yeah, you sold yeah. me a hammer, and I expected a nail gun. It's just. Yeah. Well, you know, it's there's also there's all sorts of context. This is one of the problems yeah. with online stuff. Is you know, I think yeah. sometimes people run into my Twitter account and they're just like, "What is going on? This guy's a lunatic," <laughs> which is true. But also, but also, I've got some reasonable ideas. Um, so you know, it's it's fine. I I referenced yeah. his book. I mean, it was high, uh, his book on Python's been highly recommended to you. And so yeah. in our book, Hypermedia Systems, um, we uh, we actually recommend his book for people that are looking for a Python introduction because our book does use Python. We use Python and Flask in uh, the Hypermedia Systems mm-hmm. book in order to introduce HTML. So you have to use something, and that was the sort of we we felt was the most broadly you know, useful and easiest to pick up for people that were coming from different languages. Um, uh, that was the, the best tech, tech stack for that. Even though, for example, the Django community was really the community that picked up HTMX first. The Flask community is is there, but it's just not as big and as strong as the Django community. And so if I were just following who the, the users were, we would have used Django. But then Django has, you know, it's a, it's a thicker, more complicated mm-hmm server stack and so that's why we went with flask instead to try and keep it simple for people who weren't committing to python but still wanted to learn the concepts of htmx so you know it's just like anything it's there's advantages and disadvantages to this sort of back-end agnosticism that htmx has interestingly again in preparation for this episode i was looking at various videos on htmx and you know just off off the cuff i saw i think the primogen was using go I saw another one using PHP, like you said, uh, quite a bit of Django stuff around it. So yeah, it seems like this is the front end library for anybody who doesn't want to be using JavaScript on the back end. Uh, yeah, yeah, and that's yep. you know again we're not we're not anti JavaScript, and there are lots of people that use JavaScript with HTMX, like Bun. I kind of have a joke, joking, ongoing rivalry with Bun on a. On Twitter right now, um, I think I, I may be the only front-end library that has had a major JavaScript runtime tell it to delete its account on Twitter. <laughs> so I feel like that's a uh, I've unlocked a, that's a, a life achievement there. Um, but uh, there there's something called the Beth stack, which is Bun, and then a framework that starts with E, and then T, and and then HTMX, and people are using the Beth stack. Um, which is JavaScript based, you know, uh, it's running on Bun, and uh, and they really like that. Um, so, oh, uh, I haven't even heard of this. Yeah, it's it's the Bun, new new thing. It's Bun yeah. Elysia, which I haven't yeah, heard of. Terso, which I have. That's a CSS yeah. library, I think, and HTML. Yeah, I thought Terso was SQL. Was SQL? Oh no, it's a SQL. Uh, no, it SQLite. is. You're right. 
Yeah, it is it's, a it's a local SQLite that syncs, so it's super fast, apparently. I don't know. I'm not, no, I'm you're right. It, as t- soon as you said yeah. it, I knew you were right, and I was wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it's all good. Um, it's, I mean, it's brand new. But, you know, again, I think that points to the fact that he's like, we're not anti-JavaScript on the server side. There are people that are using it very successfully. And uh, that's great. But uh, also, uh, my position is I'm a, I, I'm a programming languages person. And I think it would be a shame if the... Uh, if the, the internet became only JavaScript. Like, I like multiple languages. I'm not a Haskell person, and I will never be a Haskell person, but I like that there are Haskell people, <laughs> and, they, and I want them to be able to write web apps in Haskell and not have to, you know, write basically half their app in JavaScript if they don't want to. So it's something I, I, I really like about the HTMX use of hypermedia, and the, the hypermedia approach is that it, it opens up a lot more possibilities on the back end. I think a key aspect here and one of the reasons for the big success of JavaScript slash TypeScript on the back end is that people don't want to be writing the templating code twice. Uh, mm-hmm. When you uh, implement logic that generates HTML and you want to do it or you need to do it server side because of stuff like SSR, uh, you want to deliver a, a contentful response from for the initial load of whatever page it might be, but you also want it on, let's say, the client side because you want to have more sophisticated client interactivity culminating in single-page applications. But even if not, just the fact that you can, like you said, like uh, click a button and have stuff modified without forcing an entire page reload. And having to mm-hmm. implement all this stuff, all this logic, in two separate, two distinct programming languages, two distinct sets of APIs, was something that people really didn't like and found to be a maintenance nightmare. Now, most yep. of the common frameworks that we're seeing are, are addressing this by just doing everything in JavaScript and, let's say, doing everything in React, both on the client and the server, or doing everything in Svelte, both on the client and the server. I find it very interesting the way that you approach it, and that's the point that we kind of skipped this time around, which is the fact that for in your case, it's HTML on both sides. It's server-generated HTML on both sides. And a key aspect here is that that server-side generated HTML can contain HTMX directives, which I think mm-hmm. is something that people don't think about and it's like a big aha moment once you realize that 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 thing works yep yeah that's a good point and so uh just to get give a concrete example uh infinite scroll right an infinite scroll uh is something that most people would assume you would need to uh use javascript for um but uh with htmx you can implement html or implement uh infinite scroll excuse me um, by having an element at the end of a list that issues a new request and then appends the stuff that comes back from the server to it. So it appends, uh, effectively appends stuff. And then that new, that new bit of data that comes down will itself at the bottom have an element that on when that, when that element is revealed, that's the event that's used uh, for infinite scroll in HTMX. When it's revealed, it'll issue another request. And so you get that infinite scroll that infinite uh, list uh, uh, sort of style of UX. Um, And it's because of exactly what you said, that HTMX, when it gets content back, processes that content for any HTMX directives that are in that 
content and hooks up all the event listeners and so forth to make it all work. And so it really, it makes it just, you know, the way I like to think of it is it makes HTML much more expressive as a hypermedia. And uh, that turns out you can do, you can do quite a bit, quite a bit of interesting stuff. Not everything you can do with a uh, single page application frameworks necessarily, um, but quite a bit. Um, and depending on your application, you can get away with uh, using, using it for uh, maybe everything. For my money, whenever you can do something in a declarative way rather than in an imperative way, it's a win. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's a good point. There's uh, one disadvantage to the declarative uh, way of doing things is it's harder to debug. Um, that's the one thing I will say is that at times it can be harder because there's nowhere really to set a breakpoint. Um, but I think by and large, the simplicity of the declarative approach wins, um, you know, in most cases. Uh, so I would agree with that. Yeah. The thing is, though, is that everything has its trade off one way or the other. And so yeah. if the declarative nature of it makes it easier to just move forward quickly, and then when you have to occasionally debug it, right? I mean, if, I guess the flip side is, is if you wind up debugging it frequently, then yeah, then the trade-off becomes a little less worth it. Yeah. Yeah, I think, and I try to, you know, one thing I, I, I do, it's hard on Twitter because, you know, I'm such a, <laughs> I'm so ridiculous. And, um, but I do try to, like, this is, we're, we're all senior engineers at this point, And we all know there are trade-offs. Um, there are times when one approach will work and there are times when it won't work so well. And so there's nothing that's the right answer for everything. My hope with HTMX is to make HTML or hypermedia is the way I would say it, uh, correct, more plausible for more problems, but it's still not going to replace, you know, React for everything. That's ridiculous. It's just not what it's designed for. Um, it's really, there are some things that I, the hypermedia approach is very good at. And we have a couple of examples of people that have gone from, uh, a React-based system to an HTML or from a React-based application to a, an HTMX-based application. And they've had pretty dramatic reductions in their code bases. But that's because, first of all, they're willing to accept the less interactive aspects of HTML for their app. Their apps were, were amenable to hypermedia. Um, and, but then also they, had, they already had strong preferences for a particular backend language that they wanted to use. Um, and so, you know, it worked very well for them, but in other cases, it's not going to work so well. So, and I try to, you know, I try to stay balanced about this stuff and be reasonable. There's, you know, there is no silver bullet <laughs> in so, software development. You can, you can make a mess of HTMX, you can make a mess of React. And, uh, oh yeah, you, you know, can definitely make a mess of React, uh, for sure. <laughs> Most people do. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so um, two points, really. First of all, it occurred to me, again, you know, maybe I'm barging into an open door, but I could uh, see you like adding like logging capabilities that would assist debugging HTMX. Like, this is what we're going to send. This is what yep. we received. This is what we're replacing with what we received. Stuff like that yep. could really assist in debugging. I don't know if you have such capabilities built in. Mm -hmm. We do. You can turn on log all. There's an HTMX.logall method. And if you call that, it'll log every event, which gives you probably more information than you ever want to know about the internals of HTMX. Um, so, uh, so that is there, but it's still not the same for me anyways. The ability to set a breakpoint somewhere 
is really, really nice. So one thing, if, if someone's a, you know, we'll get support, people come in and say, oh, this isn't working. And uh, on the uh, HTMX Discord, which is unfortunately our primary support mechanism at this point, um, and uh, I'll pretty often standard. ask them, hey. Pretty standard for open is. source, I think. <laughs> it's it's crazy, but <laughs> Part it for the course. Yeah, that's where everybody is. So, um, but uh, we, you know, I'll often say to them, "Hey, do you mind running the uncompressed version of HTMX and then set a breakpoint here in this function and step through and see what happens?" Um, because that just, you know, it's 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 an easier way to the, the ability to put a breakpoint somewhere is really really nice, and uh, that's one thing that unfortunately the declarative uh, approach that HTMX takes doesn't give you. So fortunately, it works. You know, it's it's fairly intuitive most of the time, and so uh, we don't get a ton of it. But uh, every once in a while, we, we well, if you if you have a proper product. build process, you could probably ship map files with HTMX, and then you wouldn't have to <laughs> have require them to to use the uncompressed version. At least in most cases, I know, I know, I hate I hate map files. <laughs> Everybody hates map files. It's just that they're better than nothing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sometimes. I've had so many bad experiences at this point. I'm like, nope, no map files. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, one more question. Uh, if uh, Hopefully we have time for this. So another feature that I yeah. saw that I found really interesting in HTMX is the option for graceful degradation. Uh, like um, like w- effectively work either with or without JavaScript. Now, yeah. To be honest, I don't think in most cases you'd actually run into a situation where you don't have you don't actually have JavaScript. And also HMX being all of 14K, you're probably not going to have to wait a long time for it to actually download. But yeah. but still it it it's an it's a nice like filler capability, I think. Yeah, that's so progressive enhancement is the terminology that I often hear used for that. The idea that something works, you know, even when JavaScript goes away, it just doesn't, you know, you progressively enhance stuff. So if JavaScript is present, then you do something a little nicer. But if it's not, you don't. And uh, HTMX does support progressive enhancement to an extent. Um, it's, it's, it's you as a developer have to do a fair amount of work to, for that. So, um, there's a there's a feature called HX Boost, and what HX Boost does is you just put that attribute on something, and it'll find all of the anchor tags and forms and hook up basically an AJAX version of that interaction. Um, and uh, what that saves you is is basically head processing. So if you click on a link instead of downloading the head and processing all the script tags and all that stuff in it, it'll just grab the body and slam the body in. And so that can make things feel a lot faster. And it's sort of a quick win. A lot of people end up just using HX Boost, um, which is a little unfortunate because it's not the main point of the library. But and some people dislike the feature, but it's it's an easy way to win. And that works great for progressive enhancement because if JavaScript is disabled, then the link just works the normal way. Um, and so HX Boost is an example of a feature in HTMX that uh, is very progressive enhancement friendly. Um, but if you do something more complicated than that, then you have to start thinking about exactly how you want to write the HTMX code and then the non-HTMX code that is going to support the same functionality. So as an example, there's an active search example on the uh, on the website. And uh, if you wanted to make that 
So and the active search basically is you type results, you know, wait until a pause happens, and then it'll bring down results kind of as you're typing. So um, it's a nice UI feature that uh, you often see in JavaScript-based applications. So uh, if you wanted to make that work for someone who didn't have JavaScript enabled, then that form needs to be set up so that when you hit enter, it actually submits. So it actually submits um, and then renders the entire page with the results in it. Um, So it's more work. Um, So I would say HTMX has some aspects that are progressive enhancement friendly, um, but it's, it's very focused on, again, enhancing HTML as a hypermedia. And some aspects of that involve functionality that doesn't degrade gracefully. So you really, as a, as a developer, have to decide whether or not that's important to you for your particular application. That's in contrast with, for example, uh, another great uh, JavaScript library that is also hypermedia focused, which is called Unpoly. Uh, Unpoly is a, a library that... Um, it's similar in some ways. It's much higher level than HTMX. Uh, doesn't have the focus on HTML that HTMX has, but uh, it is 100% based on progressive enhancement. And so, if progressive enhancement is extremely important to you, um, then Unpoly might be a better uh, library to take a look at than HTMX. Interestingly, if we're looking at library at frameworks like uh, or meta frameworks like uh, Remix or even SvelteKit. They're kind of embracing this approach as well in a way. It just, you know, they require you to use a certain type of a backend. But, you know, uh, a well-known uh, Remix demo was them basically disabling uh, JavaScript on the client side and showing that most of the stuff still works. And effectively, it's, it's, it's kind of like the same approach in a lot of ways. Yeah. It's about uh, just doing letting the HTML forms do what they do and the links but then if the JavaScript downloads and it intercepts them and, and converts them to edge calls. So in a lot of ways, yeah. it's kind of similar, it seems, to what you're doing. I also wanted to mention that a lot of interesting things are now happening in HTML, which are making the mm-hmm. HTML itself much more appropriate for building, uh, let's call it applicative interfaces. Uh, yep. stuff like uh, popovers and dialogues and, you know, stuff that's happening in CSS. And it's it'll be very interesting to see, you know, how this type works, uh, this stuff works with HTMX because it seems like they're kind of made for each other in a lot of ways. Yeah, a good example of that is the new Transitions API, which exactly. just came out. It's in, it's in Chrome. I don't think it's in Firefox or Safari yet, but that lets you do uh, very uh, um, professional-looking transitions between uh, one DOM state and another DOM state. And so HTMX, as soon as I saw that API, it was like a two-liner to add support for it to, to HTMX. So you can use that API with HTMX. Um, just by specifying, uh, you can either configure it as global or you can specify on a particular swap that you want to use that transitions API. Um, So I I agree. I think there's a sense, you know, in the long run, my hope is that the concepts of HTMX actually get folded into HTML because I I really, this is, in my opinion, is that HTMX is how HTML should work. It should, you should be able to make anything on the screen, a hypermedia control. Maybe that needs to be limited because there are accessibility concerns as well. So I want to be open to that conversation for sure. Um, but nonetheless, this, this idea of increasing the expressiveness of HTML, I think if we could do that in a standardized way in HTML, 
um, it would be better in the long run, even for the accessibility story, because uh, people wouldn't need to write a bunch of JavaScript, which often be very difficult to get the accessibility story there right. So uh, I really hope in the long run, the ideas of HTMX, which are not, you know, they're not that dramatic at the end of the day. The, the swapping model for HTMX is something called transclusion, which has been around for, you know, <laughs> almost 50 years now in the hypermedia community. It's just never gotten uh, much play uh, within HTML. Um, so uh, I, I, my, my hope is some of these ideas get folded into HTML in the longer term. Cool. Well, um, I guess the last question that I have is just if people want to follow you or see what you're working on, see what's coming down the pipe for, or Pike. I, I can't remember which one it is. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, HTMX 2.0 should be out. Uh, I'm hoping like end of the year-ish, maybe starting early next year. Um, I've got a Twitter account, uh, which is HTMX underscore org. It is quite silly, however. And so if your listeners do not <laughs> handle silliness online very well, they might not want to uh, follow no, that. No, they, they have to follow that. <laughs> you, you, don't, you won't believe it till you see it. That's all I have to say about it. <laughs> Yeah, my uh, uh, my wife definitely feels the same way. <laughs> um, but <laughs> there's also the htmx.org website, and there's an essays slash essays if you want some more serious content and thinking about hypermedia and trying to explain, okay, look, this is why htmx is the way that it is. It's not perfect. It doesn't answer every problem, but here's the the philosophical basis of it. And then we also, we, as I mentioned earlier, we released a book in July. I mean, every, like talk about the stars aligning, <laughs> you know, I, we release a book and the primogen starts covering it and then uh, Fireship Dev covers it. It was just crazy. Um, but the book is Hypermedia Systems and you can read it online for free if you'd like at hypermedia.systems. You can also buy a hard copy version of it, which is actually a hardcover. It's a massive book. It's like an eight, eight, eight by 11 book. Um, or there's a, a, a Kindle version of it as well um, that you can purchase mm -hmm. if you'd like. Um, and that, that sort of box, if, if your listeners are not familiar or maybe were familiar with the old sort of web 1.0 style applications, um, that book walks you through Here's a web. Here's here's sort of the web, and it covers like a lot of concepts around the web that a lot of people don't see these days. And then goes on and says, "Here's a web 1.0 app built in Python, and then let's improve that uh, web 1.0 app with HTMX." So it's kind of a gentle introduction, a very book length version of that. Um, so uh, th those are the main areas where you can find me. Um, and then my my company is BigSky.software, so you can <laughs> go there. There's not much there, but yeah, there's a contact if you want to get in contact with me. All right, well, let's do some picks and start wrapping this up. I'm I'm really looking forward to trying this out. It seems like it's a step shy of uh, what I usually use, which is Stimulus JS, but it uh, it doesn't require all the programming and setup and JavaScripting that. This would solve 99% of the stuff that I have to do and then the really customized stuff I could use uh, Stimulus for. So I, I totally agree with what you just said, Chuck. I think that one of the key features of HTMX is just how easy it is to use. I mean, all you need to do in order to quote-unquote install it is basically stick a script tag in your HTML. It can even be service served from unpackaged, so you don't even need to have it on your own server, although it's probably what you would want to do once you go like production. Um, mm -hmm. 
and and just start sticking the HTMX tags on on your HTML, and that's more or less it. So so yep. yeah, it's like the easiest deployment that I can think of, really. Yeah, there's a there's a on the essays page. There's a, a an essay called a real world React HTMX port, and in that port, that engineer uh, used stimulus and HTMX in combination. So used HTMX for the core functionality, and then used stimulus for the stuff that wasn't the HTMX wasn't gonna be a good fit for. Um, so you might might want to take a look at that uh, to see uh, an example. Well, let's go ahead and do some picks. Dan, do you have some picks? Uh, I have a pick. Uh, by the way, I've got uh, one of the neighbors has a sing-along going on and with accordion music <laughs> and everything. So hopefully uh, <laughs> doesn't, you know, intrude too much into our recording. It's it's interesting. Uh, I left my accordion and in the pockets of my other pants. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah, it's it's funny. I need to go and check who which one, which one of our neighbors is yeah having like this. <laughs> anyway, um, so yeah, so I have just the one pick really, and that pick is actually this podcast because um, turns out that so it's a funny thing. I I put the podcast in in my LinkedIn bio, and then LinkedIn reminded me that it's my fourth year anniversary on this podcast. So nice. Yeah. So it turns out that me and also Steve, because I think we joined more or less in the same day, the same episode. Pretty Uh, close, yeah. Yeah. So both of us have been on the podcast for four years. Um, And so I want to thank the more or less 200 or so guests that we interviewed during this time, that very much includes you, uh, Carson, because I've learned so much from you and from all our other guests. You know, this is becoming like one of my primary sources of information about what's actually going on in the web today. Um, also, I want to thank all our listeners. Uh, they're a growing number, as you pointed out, uh, Chuck. I never thought that I would have the year of so many developers. And it's always gratifying, for example, to get to conferences and have people walk up to me and tell me that they really enjoy the content that we're putting out and that it helped them in their careers. And I remember somebody told me that he listened to one of our episodes about some topic and then he had an interview and he was asked exactly about that topic and he had like the perfect answer for them and he got the job again thanks to our podcast. So that was an awesome story. And of course, I especially want to thank uh, you, Chuck, and also AJ for, you know, welcoming us on the podcast because you were there before us. Also want to thank uh, Amy, who's no longer with us, but still a good friend and very much uh, remembered. Uh, and, uh, And Steve, like I said, who joined with me. And so that would be Oh, and I want to mention to all our listeners who probably know it, or at least should know it, that we have an amazing archive of past episodes, which I think is like becoming one of the primary resources of of good content for the web. Like, you know, again, stuff like what we talked about today. Uh, My other pick is, well, kind of, you know, the same thing that I always mention is the ongoing war in Ukraine which is still very much ongoing. They're heading into the winter. Russia is intentionally targeting uh, their electricity grid to to get them to suffer through the cold uh, winter. 
Uh, so keep the people of Ukraine in your hearts. Do whatever you can for them. And those would be my picks for today. Um, I'll throw in my picks. I've been a little bit preoccupied. I haven't played any board games lately. Mainly, um, I'm running for the state legislature here in Utah. And so last week, I basically didn't sleep. I just met up with a whole bunch of uh, delegates and stuff. Um, it's a special election, and so basically have like two or three weeks to run. And we're, we're convincing 150 delegates to vote for us is the way that it oh, works. Oh, so it's not open to the public. It's just those delegates that are like the yeah. the, vote, the voters? Yeah, so effectively, I'll just explain it because it's really easy to explain. But the way that it works in Utah is, um, I think, our legally, our uh, governor could appoint whoever he wants. But the way that it's worked for the last quite a while is that the party holds a special election. So if it's a Democrat, the Democratic Party will hold the special election. And if it's a Republican, the Republican Party will hold the special election. Um, the The senator that resigned is a Republican. He's actually lives around the corner from me. Um, and so since I'm a registered Republican in the state of Utah, um, I was eligible to run because I also live in the Senate district. And so um, the party runs it and then they run their delegates. So um, I guess the other complicating factor is, is um, if a district crosses county lines, then the state party runs it. And if it's entirely within a county, then the county party runs it. And since I have 15 delegates that are in Salt Lake County and the rest of the delegates are in Utah County, the state party's running it. So it's state delegates that, do the voting. So there are 150, there are actually 148 um, state delegates in my Senate district. And so, yeah, we're doing the election a week from Wednesday. And then whoever gets appointed fills in, for, the governor will then appoint them to finish out this uh, senator's term. And then what's crazy is, is this senator's term was up at the end of next year. And so if I win the seat, I have to defend it next year. So, anyway, <laughs> how many how many so, people are running? Man, oh man, good luck. <laughs> there are about fifteen people running. Oh, that's a good number. Yeah, and uh, you can still register for this to run up through tomorrow. But at this point, if you're getting into the the race, you're really really late because um, they've already had a debate. We've already had a whole bunch of campaign events, and so. Anyway, it's been really interesting. But the other complicating issue for me is that tomorrow I fly to Amsterdam for Rails World. And so I will be out for a week of the campaign. And so um, I'm going to be calling people in the middle of the night in Amsterdam so that I can get them during the day here. And uh, anyway, but yeah, so that's, I don't have a board game pick this week and I feel kind of bad about that. Um, my son keeps wanting me to uh, do D&D &D with him. So I will pick D and D, um, Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, there's, I, I have to say that if you want to be like the dungeon master, the person telling the story, you have to do a bit of work or have played a bit in order to understand enough of the mechanics to be able to be the dungeon master. But the nice thing is, is that if you're new to Dungeons and Dragons and you have a group that's got people who have played for a while or a dungeon master that's really good then um, you can jump in as a complete newbie and people will just help you to know what to do, right? So you can decide, I want to cast this spell 
And the other thing is that I tell people is don't worry so much about doing the right thing. Just have fun, right? So it's like, I want to try this uber awesome fireball spell that uses all of my energy up so that, right, go for it, right? And and then you have to go and you have to whack them on the head with a stick because you can't use any more magic. That's totally fine. And make it fun, right? And uh, anyway, I some people do get pretty into it and they get frustrated when you don't do the right gameplay move. Um, I used to play it with my brothers and sisters and one of my brothers he quit in frustration because my brother-in-law kept doing stuff that was just off the wall. And so the rest of us are howling in laughter and he's upset because my brother-in-law is not taking it seriously. So um, just, just go can't in and you, have a good time. Can't you also, if you're, if you're a dungeon master, like, can't you just, uh, you know, make your life easier with chat GPT or something? <laughs> I hadn't ever thought of that, but I am liking where that might go. So Anyway, so anyway, so I'm going to pick Dungeons and Dragons. It's funny because I was I've been reorganizing my office, um, and uh, I found all my dungeon Dungeons and Dragons manuals. So um, I'm probably going to start playing it with my nieces and nephews. Um, I have two nephews in high school in Alabama, and two nephew one nephew who just got a mission call for the LDS Church. He's going to Helsinki, Finland. And then his younger brothers in high school as well. And so I think I might be able to pull together a group with them and some of my kids' friends and just use like Roll20. So I'm going to pick Roll20 as well. It's kind of a nice online way of playing D&D with people. And then we just get to get, you know, we just get online and play on Monday nights or something. So anyway, I'm going to pick that. And then um, I'm going to pick another thing that's game related that I kind of want to start taking my kids to um, because it's right up the same alley with especially my older son um they have a magic the gathering uh night at the local game store on fridays and what you do is you basically buy a pack of random cards and then you you play a tournament with the cards that you bought right so you don't bring your own deck and you don't have your own cards that kind of synergize nicely together so you can build out your own deck you just kind of end up with this pile of cards and then you can kind of pick and choose a certain number of them to play each round. And uh, I can't remember what they call it, but it seems like a ton of fun. And I've played plenty of games like Magic the Gathering. I've played Magic like twice in my life ever. But um, anyway, that seems like a lot of fun. And then finally, I know I'm kind of generically picking things, um, but uh, the other pick that I have, I found an old model truck um, that, that I have yet to assemble right? It's a, a Ford F100. You know, it's just, you know, it's like that big if if you put it together. And I was talking to my wife the other night because she was helping me kind of get things organized in here. I have things mostly together now at this point. We switched rooms with my daughters because they couldn't keep this room clean and the other room smaller. So it's a smaller mess or maybe just a deeper mess, depending on how you look <laughs> at it. But um, anyway, I was like, I, I've had this for years and years since I was in college. And I never built it. And I was like, but I have trouble getting rid of it because I remember building these with my with my dad. And, uh, you know, my dad passed away like five years ago. And so, you know, it's just been hard for me to let go of it. And she's like, just build it with your kids. And I'm like, oh, yeah. So anyway, so in a couple of weeks, I'll be doing that. Um, nice. And then finally, my last pick is, um, and I use this all the time. It's my Traeger. It's a, it's a smoker. 
So, um, yeah, next Friday and Saturday, I'm planning on making ribs on Friday and brisket on Saturday because we're going to have company. And, oh, buddy, I just can't get enough of that stuff. So, Oh, yeah. Those are my picks. Carson, what are your picks? Well, I'm going to just go with technical stuff. Sorry, a little boring, but no, nope, it's um, all good. I, my my first pick is going to be unpoly.com. Um, it's a, a an alternative actually to HTMX, um, but I think it's it's not as well known as HTMX, and that's a little bit unfair. Um, you know, again, I think HTMX is benefiting from right place and right time. So I would encourage listeners to go take a look at unpoly.com and just give it a you know, give it a fair shot. And uh, it, particularly if you're interested in progressive enhancement, I think it's a, a real good option um, for building hypermedia oriented applications, uh, higher level than HTMX. Um, and then the second thing that I would pick is uh, is AlpineJS, which I don't know, are you guys familiar with AlpineJS? I know I of it. We did an episode on it, didn't we? Yeah, I'm 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 100% sure we've done an episode, at least one about it. Okay. Uh, I know of it. I have not actually used it. Okay. Um, Al- AlpineJS is a library created by Caleb Porzio, and uh, it's a it's a a much more it's it has some AJAX functionality, but the core library is more focused on uh, front end interactions and has reactive aspects to it. But it's a really neat. Uh, library that uh, dovetails very well with HTMX, and so if you're if you're writing an HTMX application and you feel the need to do scripting, um, uh, AlpineJS might be a good option. It's definitely worth checking out. It's it's much lighter weight than React, um, uh, and more focused on sort of front end uh, uh, interactions, but uh, very well thought out. And the engineer behind it, Caleb Porzio, is a really smart guy. So there's a lot of uh, really neat stuff going on there. So those would be my two picks. Uh, and, and I think those libraries both are uh, good libraries that are, so they, they're, they're in the same arena as HTMX and are worth considering. Another one that might be interesting to use with HTMX would be Astro, I'm thinking. Yeah, the Astro people have expressed interest. There's a couple, there's a, it sounds like just a few small changes that they need to make with their sort of server-side infrastructure to to really make Astro sing with HTMX. So I'm looking forward to seeing seeing that stuff come out from them. All right. Well, let's go ahead and wrap it up here. Thanks for coming, Carson. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. I know HTMX is not the normal javascript framework and i'm not the normal javascript developer so i appreciate you guys having me on and listening to me <laughs> listening yeah, to me right well like we said before it does things differently but it does things in a way that is intuitive and useful so, all right well sure. until next time max out <laughs>